Well, good morning, Northlands Church. Uh, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, if it's your very first Sunday, as Melissa's already shared, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. We'd love to meet you um, after this service in the front lobbies. I'll be out there with some of the other leaders and just wanna hear your story, what brings you through our doors uh, and to hear more about your journey. Uh, but we're really glad that you're here. We are um, landing the plane on a series that we've been in for the month of March. Um, now we're dipping into April. Greg will be back with us as we've already shared and he will put a bow on this series. But the series, we are calling it Midnight Oil. And this series is, is really a study on the person, the work, and the way of the Holy Spirit and how he wants to relate and to connect with you and me. And while we've had uh, many series in our past about the Holy Spirit and his work and the gifts of the Spirit, what, what I uh, said last week is that this series was kind of birthed out of, uh, of a very unique um, experience. We've been chewing on this word as an eldership team for the last um, several months, this prophetic word about this being a season for collecting oil a season for collecting oil. Now, I don't know your background. I don't know um, your story. If you're familiar with the Holy Spirit and the way that he works or prophetic words, but I really wanted to, to um, step into the conversation and go, okay, the, prof the, the prophetic word, this is a season of collecting oil. What does that actually mean? Not just for us as collectively as a church, but what does it mean for you as an, uh, as an individual? We believe that there's an invitation for you to receive something and it requires you to apply this word to your life. And so last week, uh, if you'll recall, I, I began to uh, talk about how God speaks to us in a number of different ways. Absolutely, he speaks to us through the scriptures. This is the word of God. It's the foundation of all things, but he speaks to us in a number of ways. I believe that God still speaks today. I do not believe that these words are being continued on, that the, the Bible has established these words and that these are foundational truths. And yet the words that we receive, whether through picture or through our emotions, through metaphors, through phrases, through words, they are in harmony with these words. So if we see a picture, if we hear a word that is contradicting to the word of God, it's not from the Lord. And at the same time, he still speaks to us today. It is the equivalent, people, some people say, you know, the word of God is enough. And I'm going, that is the equivalent of your dad writing, I love you always on a post-it note, slapping it on the refrigerator and going, hey, if you ever doubt it, just look at the post-it note. I'll be back in 18 years. That is not how our heavenly father works with us. That's not how our earthly fathers works. We wanna hear the love of the father every single day of our life, amen? And so the Holy Spirit speaks to us on a daily basis. One of the ways in which he speaks is through metaphors. Jesus was a master at using metaphors to speak to us. Why does God use metaphors? Because he wants to use the things that we understand, the things that we can wrap our mind around to better explain the things that we struggle to comprehend. We are dealing with the infinite God of the universe who holds all things together and he is outside of time and space and he wants to communicate with you and me, those who are finite beings inside time and space. So how does he do it? He speaks with the furnishings of our mind, the things that are in our mind and our experiences that we are familiar with. Jesus, he would say things. He'd have an audience like this and he'd say, hey, I can see that there's some farmers in the room. The kingdom of, the heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out to sow seed. And all the farmers go, I think I know what he's talking about. He's explaining the deep truths of the heavenlies. And he goes, hey, but the kingdom of heaven, it's like a farmer who goes out and says seed. Or, or as we talked about last week, God wants to reveal his nature to you and to me. And so he says, you know what a father is, right? I'm the perfect heavenly father. I want you to know this kind of love that I have for you. Jesus would say to the church, hey, I want you to know, I consider you my bride. I want you to consider me your bridegroom. Why? Because we know what a husband and wife are. 
We know the covenant that they have. And he's saying, I want you to know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never divorce you because I'm a perfect husband. And in this series, we're, we're investigating the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be known in several different ways. He's, he's known in scriptures as fire, wind, water. And in this series, we're talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the anointing oil. And so you go, Tyler, what is this? What is this? The, the Holy Spirit's like oil. What does that even mean? It's because he's saying, hey, you know what oil is, right? And, and you'll recall, Greg spoke about this uh, several weeks ago. I hit on it last week. I'm gonna hit on it again. And oil was used for six different things. It was used for consecration. It was used for illumination. It was used for filling. It was used for empowering. It was used for healing. It was used for teaching. What's the Holy Spirit saying? He's saying, hey, I want you to know I'm like oil. And you know what oil's like. I want to be this for you. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And so when we take a word, if we wanna break down this, this metaphor, this prophetic word, this is a season of collecting oil. The two elements that we wanted to highlight was the Holy Spirit says, I am like oil. I am like these things. Know that I want to be this for you in your life. I want to cleanse you. Your past does not define you. I want you to know that you are the temple of my spirit and I'm continually cleaning your life, making you pure before God. I am illuminating your path like an oil lamp that has a small flame. I want you to know I'm illuminating your path because that is who I am. I am filling you. Any empty area of your life, whether it's in your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your finances, your career, just like the woman we read about last week, the widow with a small bit of oil, and he filled every vessel of the Holy Spirit saying, because that's who I am. I fill all the empty places of your life. The kingdom of heaven is calling us to do the work of healing and empowering us. And he leads and guides us into all truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And so when we talk about collecting oil, it's talking about how do we walk more intimately with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we talked about this idea of collection. What does collection look like in our lives? And we, we talked about this last week, collecting, people collect what they put their confidence in, their hope in, their trust in. Some people spend their life collecting money and resources and wealth. Why? Because I understand the call, the draw. We want security. If I just collect enough of this, I'll have security and nothing bad will ever happen to me. How many people know that's just not true? Some people spend their life collecting power. They believe if I collect enough power, I'll have control over my life. Some people spend their life collecting influence and followers. They go, if I just collect enough followers, those who would sing my praises, then I'll find meaning and purpose in my life. And what we've been investigating over the last several months is this, as sure as the sun sets, the midnight hour will come for each and every one of us. You live long enough and you will have many midnight hours. And when the midnight hour comes, what you and I have spent our time collecting, it will begin to be poured out, spent, burnt. And the question is, is while it is burning through the night, will what you've collected last or will it be burned out? Many people, and unfortunately, even in the church, live lives of exhaustion, burnout, feeling empty. And this is an invitation the Holy Spirit is saying, you do not overcome the midnight hour by power or by might, but by my spirit. And so that's what we've been uh, investigating today. Now, as I said last week, I want the goal from last week to be the same goal for this week. I wanna talk about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And for you, I want to normalize this relationship. I wanna personalize this relationship, uh, relationship. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you look at the life of Jesus, and we're gonna talk about him as a rabbi today and how he modeled a life for us to live into. When you look at his life, you see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And he said, come and follow me. And he was talking about a life filled with the Spirit. That in Jesus's mind was the normal. 
In other words, if you wanna be a normal Christian, the gifts of the spirit, even tongues, the gifts of the spirit, the way of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, that is the normal life. The normal life is an empowered life by the spirit. I didn't say that, Jesus said that. And so what we wanna recognize is Jesus's heart and mission for us is not only to save us from death. Some people think Jesus came to be our sheep, sacrifice, rescue us. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. And that is true. That is one part of what he came to do. Jesus did not only come for rescue, but he also came for reformation. In other words, Jesus did not just come to save us from death, but he came to transform and empower our lives while we live. And so here's where I want us to go today. I want us to talk a little bit about the life of a rabbi. Now, in Jewish culture, uh, the education system is very different from a Western culture. In Jewish culture, there was really three stages of education. Uh, The first stage was was really for for boys and girls from ages about five to six to about the age of 12 to 14. And this was what we could consider uh, general education. They had basics of arithmetic and writing and understanding their history and their family lineage and their faith. It was just getting the foundations together. Now, after this first stage of education, uh, the girls would go on to live in their parents' home and they would begin to just, just do life with their mom. They would learn what it means to keep a house. Some would even get married very young right after um, school at a very young age. So, th- so they wouldn't continue on. In the second stage, it was just for, for boys. That's what was happening in that culture. And it was a study of the Torah. Now, if you're not familiar with the Torah, to give context, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And when I say they study the Torah, I'm not talking about they just studied it. They memorized this bad boy. Word for word. It was an oral culture, so make yourself feel better. You're like, I struggled to memorize Bible verses. They got the first five books, and they weren't even the fun books. It was like Numbers, <laughs> Leviticus. Just, yeah, there's just none of the short ones. There was no John one, two, or three. It was just all. And so that was the second stage of education. And so these boys would, would just download the Torah into their being, which brought us to the third stage. In the second stage, it literally was a weeding from the boys and the men. It was a sense that rabbis would begin to look in at this stage and they'd begin to watch students. And those students who had an aptitude for this education and understanding of the law, they would be pulled aside with the rabbis and the rabbis would do these interviews. For those who were not pulled aside, they would go into the trades of their family. So they'd become fishermen, they'd become builders, they'd become farmers. But for the, for the elite of the elite, the best of the best, the few and the proud, these students would come and they would sit with a rabbi and these rabbis would grill them. I mean, absolutely, they'd ask them countless questions about the Torah, about their family, trying to get an idea of who are we sitting across from? Who, is, this, is this young man, does he have potential to be a great rabbi like me? Now, for those few that made it past and graduated from the third stage, the rabbi would, would say something to the effect of, uh, if they, if they like this student, come and follow me. So we know when Jesus went to his disciples, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they had different trades. We know that these guys were rejected in the third stage. And so when they hear an invitation from Jesus, hey, I want you to put down your nets and come and follow me. It was an invitation that they took very, very personally and and it was sacred. It was like, this is amazing. A rabbi has taken interest in us. It was a big honor, a big, big deal. And so a rabbi would say, come and follow me. Now here's where, this is why I share all this with you for this reason. 
We miss this in the Western culture because what we think is, okay, so now this rabbi is going to teach you the way of a rabbi. And it's true, he was. But the rabbi was not inviting these young men into a classroom to teach them lessons. And you know, what we do is we end up going to, to college or throughout high school and we learn lessons, but then what we do, we take the lessons, we go, that's good, but I'm gonna bring it into my context, my own individual life. That is not the way of the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, they were saying, I am going to become this man. I am going to become that rabbi. When he said, come and follow me, he wasn't inviting you into a lesson, into a classroom. He was saying, I want to invite you into my life. I want you to watch how I do things. I want you to, to eat the food I'm eating. They begin to dress the way that their rabbi dressed. They would go to all the different uh, spaces, whether he was teaching or whether he's just having conversation and they would just watch and observe and take in everything. Because what they were trying to do was not just to learn some lessons that they would then apply to their lives. They were saying, I'm going to take this life and become my rabbi. Now, here's why that is so important. And I think that it, it gets lost on us. Again, as I said, when, it, when it's the normal life of the Christian faith, here's where I know all, all churches that are Jesus following churches, we all agree on. Sometimes the gifts, sometimes the Holy Spirit, that stuff, we're like, ah, that's a little much for me. But here's what we agree on. You must be born again. You must follow the way of the kingdom. Uh, you must uh, be able to read the scriptures and understand the scriptures. You, you must witness and evangelize. You must pray. These are basics in the Christian faith. And Jesus's whole point was come and follow me. And his point was none of those things you could do without me. In other words, he's saying you cannot be born again without the Holy Spirit. You cannot see the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. That's John 3, 5. You cannot even understand the word of God without the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. You cannot witness, proclaim the gospel, evangelize without the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8. You cannot even pray, Luke 11, 1 to 13. And even the answer to your prayer is the Holy Spirit. I love this in Luke chapter 13. I just noticed it this week. Jesus says, hey, for, for the parents out there, if your child asks for a rock, or ask for bread, you wouldn't give them a rock. If you ask for a drink, you wouldn't give them a serpent. Why? Because even though you're imperfect parents, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more so when you pray to your heavenly father, will he answer your prayers? And do you know what the answer to the prayer is? Not, not uh, whatever you ask for, he'll answer. He says, the answer to the prayer is he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Not only can you not pray without the Holy Spirit, but the answer to our prayers is the Holy Spirit. So this rabbi Jesus says, come and follow me. I want to teach you how I live my life. And the way in which Jesus lived his life in every aspect was completely and totally saturated with the Holy Spirit. Last week, I, I highlighted it. Barna did uh, a research study. Uh, 1,781 people asked them, is the Holy Spirit a living entity? 43 to 63% swing said no. And so we have half the church, over half the church, not believing in a vital part of following Jesus. Now, you've already heard that study. Here's why I share that again. Because as of 2021, this December, 29% of adults are leaving the church. That's up by 6% since 2016. That's from Pew Research. The leading people, leading the charge on that, that exodus are millennials. Here's why I'm not deterred by that number. Because I don't believe that millennials and Gen Zs and this generation is looking at Jesus and go, that's an irrelevant man. 
I do not believe that they look at the church and they go, you know what, there's nothing for me there. What I do believe is they're saying, if all we are doing here is attending a meeting, that sounds really good, has some practical lessons. It's pretty moralistic. I wanna be a better person, so I come and I listen to a guy tell me about lessons that are in the scripture. If all we are doing is coming to that, I can watch that on YouTube and through TED Talks. That is what I think people are leaving for. In other words, as I said last week, without the power of God, the word of God is no gospel. I believe, amen. So in other words, here's why I'm encouraged. I don't believe that the generation is looking at Jesus and looking at the church and going, that's not for me. I believe that they're calling out for without words. They are saying, we need a revival. That is what I believe. Jesus came not just to rescue you. He came for reformation. He came to change the way we live and the way we ought to live is filled with the power of God. We owe it to our generation for a demonstration, not just of words and wise words, but of power. Amen. John, or rather, let's do it. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus gives this invitation as a rabbi to you and to me. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Are you in that 29%? Come to me, the rabbi, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you, the rabbi, how to take a real rest. Walk with me, the rabbi, and work with me, the rabbi. Watch how I do life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the call of Jesus to you and to me. Are you feeling burnout? Are you feeling like the vessel is empty? Are you feeling exhausted by just the routine and rhythm of a program? The whole, the, the, Jesus is saying, I wanna show you a real way of living because that is why he came. John 10, 10, it says that Jesus came so that you and I might have life. And to a dead person, that is the best news. It absolutely is. If you are in a mode of survival, paycheck to paycheck, making the ends meet, and you hear that your life can be filled and you can have enough, that's the dream. And yet that's not where Jesus stopped in the verse. Jesus didn't say, I've come to, to just give you life. He said, I have come that you may have it abundantly. Some of the church stops short in that verse and they say salvation is enough. As long as my vessel is filled, man, what a dream. And I get it. A message of generosity and overflow is not a joy, but a burden to those who have lived with scarcity and just trying to survive. The call to, hey, you should be generous is not easy when you feel like your barrel or your vessel is empty. And yet Jesus said, I didn't just come for your vessel to be full. I came so that it would be overflowing all the time. And so today I wanna to talk about an overflowing life. Last week, I, my message, I called it a little oil. We need a little oil. I decided to kick it up a notch. This week's message is called a lot of oil. <laughs> I was like, how do you top last week? I just, you just change the name slightly and it works out. I wanna talk about a word. Remember, we're normalizing and personalizing this relationship with the Holy Spirit. I wanna talk about a word that gets a bad rap in the church. So if some of this stuff is already weirding you out, just, just take the seatbelt that's on the seat and buckle that bad boy up. Uh, there's no seatbelts. I'm gonna say a word and no, nobody, don't, don't flinch. Nothing's gonna happen. We're gonna talk about 
anointed. Or anointing or anoint. Last week, we actually anointed people. So like, you're getting, it's, we're just talking about the definition today. This, I don't understand why the word gets better. I understand that, that people maybe have manipulated it and go, you know, oh, because I'm the anointed man of God or the anointed woman of God, you just need to follow me, listen to everything I say and you know, pay me $6.99 for this small vial of perfume from Mary uh, or whatever. And so they get a, it gets a bad rap. But the word itself is actually a very normal word. The word itself, in fact, I, I bet now that we understand a little bit about a rabbi and his disciples, you actually know what the word means. The word means to rub off or to smear with, with oil. And here's why I know that you actually are very familiar with this word. Um, when I was uh, f- 14 or so, I started working at a skating rink where I played a lot of sports growing up. I played hockey. And so I started working at the skating rink till I was about 17. And from 14 to 17, on the weekends, we'd play hockey and I'd run a hockey program. But during the week, Monday to Friday, we, we ran an after-school program just to, to better utilize the facility. And so kids uh, would come to, to this program. They would, we'd help them with their homework. I feel bad for the kids that I helped with homework because it was probably wrong. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that feels, that feels right. Yeah, just write that down. Uh, it, yeah, two plus two. This is English, Tyler. Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. And so I'd help them with their homework. I'd get to know them. I, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. We'd get to hang out with the kids after they finished their homework and all this kind of stuff. Uh, then what would happen as I got to know these kids, their parents, after they get off of work, would come and pick up their kids. And so I'd start meeting and hanging out with the parents and getting to know them. And so a lot of times uh, there's you know, two types of kids. There's like the good kids that you love hanging out with and um, there's no bad kids. They're just depraved children um, uh, that need Jesus. You know. And so you, you get to know them, you hang out with the ones you like, you kind of just tolerate and give snacks to the ones that you don't. And um, and so the parents would come, sorry, I'm being honest and real. My, I'm, not, I'm not in children's ministry, guys, don't worry. Andy's got it. <laughs> but it's fine, it's fine. So I get to meet the parents as they're coming to pick up their kids. And as I get to meet the parents, I'm talking with them and I look at the parent and I look at the kid and I look at the parent and I look at the kid and I go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Any educators in the room know what I'm talking about. I go, oh, I know why your kid's the way that he is. It's, there it is, there it is. This, this works with spouses as well. I've talked with husbands and wives. Okay, so we're gonna get real. We'll cut the cameras off. We won't go live. We'll just, I'll talk with like a husband or wife and it looks like they've been like chewing on a lemon their whole life. They're just, they're just bitter about everything across the board. And then I meet their spouse and I go, oh, that makes sense. You married a lemon, that's fine. Uh, no. <laughs> this is, we're getting real today parents understand this I have a daughter she is not me we are two separate beings and yet I am rubbing off on her and she's rubbing off on me she is not me but she is like me in many ways for good or for bad and she's like her mom for good or for bad rubbing off we are anointing our children your spouse is anointing you and you are annoying your spouse. No, I'm just kidding. I don't speak enough to the, the teens in the room. I, I, I was thinking about you in this, in this regard. Uh, when I was your age, I remember I wanted to be a success. And when it comes to being a success, I want you to know that the career that you choose, the college that you go to, your GPA, those things do matter, but those aren't the things that are gonna make you a success in life. What will make you a success or will have a massive influence on your life is the the quote, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says it this way. Do not be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. It was Jim Rohn. He's a motivational speaker and author. He's the one who said this. He said that uh, if you are the, you will be the average of the five people you spend the most time with. We understand anointing because everybody carries an anointing. What do you think yours is? When people rub shoulders with you, what is overflowing out of your vessel and into their life? All you have to do is check the vessel. The things that we spend our time collecting, the things that we put our confidence and our hope and our trust in, they're not just the things that we are putting our hope and trust in. They are the things that are splashing out of our lives and they are touching the lives of the people around us. Everyone has an anointing. What's yours? Jesus's invitation was come and follow me. I am the anointed one and I will show you a new anointing to carry a better way to live. And so I want us to be in Luke chapter three. We're gonna go Luke chapter three and four. We're actually jumping around a little bit today, but just to oversee one account. Jesus, our rabbi, he lived under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I like how Greg um, said this. I'm quoting Greg, even though he's not here, I could totally rip him off, but I'm just deciding, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote him anywhere. Greg says this, when it comes to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, here's what we have to understand. The Holy Spirit in you is for you. The Holy Spirit on you is for others. The Holy Spirit's anointing that is among us, this oil among us is for the world. For our, our context, we could say it this way, that the oil, let's go to the next slide. Yeah, there it is. The oil in us is for our vessels, for our life. The oil on us is the overflow and it's going into the, uh, the vessels of others. And the oil among us, the church, it is for the world. Last week, we really spoke about that first one, about oil being filled in our vessels. This week, I wanna talk about the oil that is overflowing in our lives. I honestly believe that one right there is gonna unlock your purpose. If you wanna figure out your purpose for life, it will have to do with you pouring out your life for others. Jesus said, you wanna gain life? You have to lose your life. And when it comes to the purpose of the church, that's the third tier. It is among us and it is for the world. The Bible says that the church is like a city, a light, a lamp, an oil light that's on top of a hill that cannot be hidden. And when people see it, they come from darkness to see this light. We are the church, we are the hope of the world. So here's where I want us to go. I want us to look at this model and how Jesus, our rabbi, modeled this for us. He showed us that the Holy Spirit was in him. It was on him to do ministry. And then he gave this oil away to his disciples like you and me so that we might rub shoulders and touch the lives of people around us for the sake of the gospel. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter three, I just wanna read two verses in chapter three and then we're gonna go right into chapter four. Luke, uh, Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22, it is the account of Jesus being baptized. So Jesus asks his disciples, hey, come, follow me. And they go, where are we going? We're going down to the Jordan. And they meet another rabbi and his disciples, John the Baptist, actually the cousin of Jesus. And John the Baptist is baptizing people in the name of Jesus. He says, oh, there's the Messiah. There's the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. People are being baptized. And Jesus goes, guys, I want you to live like me. I'm getting in the water. I'm gonna be baptized. And so John chapter, uh, or chapter three verses, it's, it's actually 21 and 22. That's my bad on the typo, but it says this. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, 
the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. This, bapti uh, this baptism was a consecration. He was being set apart. The oil of the Holy Spirit was on Jesus and in Jesus and he was being set apart for ministry. And do you know the first call that Jesus had to ministry was in chapter four. This is what happens as soon as Jesus gets out of the water. This is what chapter four says. It says, and Jesus, full of, say full of. Full of. Feeling Pentecostal, repeat after me, it's cool. Here we go. <laughs> and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in Jesus and that's for him. And he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The Holy Spirit fills Jesus and his vessel is full of the Holy Spirit and he needs the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the midnight hour, the wilderness for 40 days. And in 40 days, Jesus is drained of food and energy with no shelter and he is there and yet he's got oil and that's all he needs. And so the devil comes to tempt him, which is what the Holy Spirit led to do. He, because it's a, it's a sign and a symbol that, the, that Jesus is gonna overcome, just like the Israelites were, were uh, in, the, in the desert for 40 years wandering. He comes out of the 40 days in the desert victorious and in power. So it's a, it's, a, it's a whisper of this truth that Jesus is the overcomer. And so while he is in the desert, he is tempted by the devil and the devil says, hey, I wanna challenge this identity. The heavens just opened up and said that you're the son of God. Prove it. Take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus' response in Luke chapter four, verse four, was that man does not live by bread alone. In Matthew chapter four, verse four, he picks up the account and he continues that statement. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus' response to the devil was, it is not by power or by might, but by the spirit of God that I am sustained. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness and we're gonna jump down to verse 14 of chapter four and it says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding countries and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, where he grew up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day with his disciples who are following and watching him how he does life. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, which is interesting because it was, he didn't take it. He didn't choose that one. Someone just gave it to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to stop. Holy Spirit in us is for us. Jesus had the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit while he was in the midnight hour. But now he's talking about a way of living. And he said, the Holy Spirit is on me. And just like we said, when the Holy Spirit is on you, it's for others. He said, the Holy Spirit is on me and he has anointed me too. Before we find out what the two is, I want us to go back 700 years like a Quentin Tarantino movie and go to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote a book 
called Isaiah. And the whole book can be split up into two major parts. On the one half of Isaiah's book, he prophesies a whole bunch about Jesus, but specifically about the exile that is coming. Remember last week, we talked about prophets. They were messengers of God. And Jeremiah, the prophet said, prophet called for repentance. If we don't repent and we continue to reject God, an exile is coming. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, they will come and take over. Isaiah picks that up and he says, this is true and exile is coming. It becomes true about a hundred years after Isaiah's life. And so the first half of Isaiah, he is prophesying about this exile that is coming, but he's also prophesying about hope. And in chapter six, verse 13, uh, Isaiah actually sees a, a vision and it's of a tree that is Israel. And he said, I saw the tree that was Israel. It was cut down at the stump and all that was left in the ground was this stump. It was black with ash, but from this stump, I saw a seed. I saw hope. I saw a rescue coming. And he begins to prophesy about Jesus, referring to him as the servant of the Lord. And he begins to prophesy that Jesus will come, he will die, but through his death and through his blood and through his resurrection, we find our righteousness and reconciliation. He says this in chapter, if we, if we go to the second half, which is all about the hope that is coming, chapter 53 of Isaiah, he says this about Jesus. Isaiah just prophesies all up and down the life of Jesus before Jesus is even on the scene, 700 years before. And he says this, uh, chapter 53, verse 10 to 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, say many. Make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear the iniquities. Now in chapters 54 and 55, right after this passage, he begins to prophesy about the servant of the Lord Jesus. And he says, this servant who comes from that tree stump, he will be the servant of the Lord and he will be like a seed of hope, but he will also rescue and save those who are also servants and they are also known as seeds. And he says this, Isaiah says this, this is the message that that man will carry. The, the, the anointed one who is anointing his servants and other seeds, this is what he'll carry. Isaiah chapter 61, it says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Sound familiar? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. I love this next line, the oil of gladness, the Holy Spirit, instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And then listen to this. He's been speaking about the servant of the Lord, but then he talks about the, the servant of the Lord and those that he's anointed. He says this about you and he says this about me, those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Hear the they as he speaks about it. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The whole point of Isaiah and the whole point of Jesus is he's saying, it's not just that I'm the anointed one, but that I am anointing those to be anointed ones. Everyone carries an anointing. And the good news of the gospel is your anointing doesn't have to come from you. 
So we go back into Luke, we fast forward 700 years and I wanna continue with what Jesus was saying in the synagogue. He's handed this scroll of Isaiah that he penned 700 years ago. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, this is just, it tickles me. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of the church looked on. And while they were all watching, he said, that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they were astonished. Now, I want us to just go very briefly to Mark chapter six, because this is what happens after Jesus leaves the synagogue. Mark chapter six, Jesus, who is a rabbi, who is with his disciples, and they are watching how he lives and does life. They just see this account and they go, Jesus, you're gonna make some people angry when you're saying things like that, claiming that you're the son of God. So they leave the synagogue and he pulls them together. And he says in chapter uh, six, verse seven, he says, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them, hear this, to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And then we jump down to verse 12. They didn't just have a staff, they had one other thing with them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and they were healed. What they did have with them was the rabbi's oil and they began to operate like the anointed ones. I wanna to continue to break down this prophetic word. This is a season of collecting oil. And it's not just about collecting enough oil for you. John 10, 10, Jesus was not just here to give you life and to fill your vessel with oil. Jesus came to make you an oil source for those around you. That when people rub shoulders with you and me, what should come off of our life is the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God because we have been walking very closely with our rabbis. One of the blessings uh, that, that people would say, would say, they, they would, we pray that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbis. In other words, that you're walking so closely behind him that the dust that he is uh, walking through is kicking off onto you, that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this is a prayer that I have for each one of us today, that you and I, we would be saturated with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Northlands Church, collecting oil is not just something we do. It is who we are. Because the same spirit that anointed Jesus and raised him from the dead, it is in you, it is on you, and it is filling this place among us for the sake of the world. So I have a seven day challenge for us. And when you walk out today, I'm gonna have ushers at the front of this door here and the back door here. And I want us to just challenge you for seven days because I want this to get in us. I don't want it just to be up here. I want it to be in here. It's gonna be a card that just has Isaiah 61, one to four. And here's what I'm challenging you just for seven days. Before you wake up, or rather when you wake up, before you, before you wake up, 
take that card. There was a moment and now it's gone. No. I'll bring it back. When you wake up and before you connect with anybody, before you rub shoulders with anybody, I want you to take that card and I want you to read it out loud to yourself. I want you to recognize that it's, it absolutely is referring to Jesus, but it absolutely is also referring to us, the anointed ones. Not because we're little demigods or following Jesus, but because Jesus is our rabbi and we are following him. And I'm not just trying to pull some moralistic lessons from this guy named Jesus. Eventually that will just become irrelevant. I want to become him. I want to become like him. We are being made more and more and more into the image and likeness of our rabbi, our Lord and savior, Jesus. And his anointing that he has from the Holy Spirit of God is flowing from him onto us. And not just enough to fill our lives, but to overflow and splash onto the lives of others. If you're here today and you are a Jesus follower, here's what I want for you. I want us to break this barrier of survival and barely getting by. I want us to get past a form of godliness that denies the power that we just go, well, if I just follow some biblical lessons, maybe my life will begin to look more like Jesus. No, that your life would be saturated with the spirit of God so that every area of your house, everything that you touch has been smeared with an anointing oil of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just that you understand the lessons of Jesus, but that you are tasting the oil and the fragrance of the Holy Spirit of God coming from him. It is not enough to just get by. It's not enough that you just have salvation when you die, but that you experience the power of God while you live. If you are here today and you are not a Jesus follower, I want you to know everything that I have talked about can be accessible to you today, right here, right now. The Bible says that without Jesus and without being born of the spirit, you are dead in your sins. Jesus absolutely came for you to have life and this description that I'm giving of life to the full, it's for you as well. And so if you're here today and you are not a Jesus follower, I'm just going to ask you, would you make a consideration? I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, even as we've been gathering, to speak to you about truth, leading and guiding you into truth, because that's who he is, it's what he does. I, be, I believe, and I'm not saying this out of some sort of arrogance, only because of what I believe in the scriptures, I believe that this moment is an appointed moment for you. I believe that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me with this message of the gospel to proclaim to you today so that you could find salvation in this house. I believe that with all my heart. Before you woke up, before you were born, the Holy Spirit saw this moment and said, this is the moment that you give your life to Jesus. Do not wait another day. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray together. And if, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, I'm just gonna ask, would you come to the front lobby? I'd love to just talk to you more about this Jesus. He is so much more than a rabbi, but I'm telling you right now that he will lead and guide you in your life. He is a Lord and a savior. He is a good, good friend. He walks closely with you. So do not leave here with empty vessels. Not when we have the spirit who continually fills and gives life. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for this series. Thank you so much for this reminder that we do not overcome the midnight hour by our own strength, our own toil. That's religion and I'm burnt out on it. We overcome in this life by your spirit. 
So Holy Spirit, I'm gonna ask once again for you to do only what you can do, and that is to fill our lives, but don't just fill it to the brim, fill it to the overflow like you promise. Let our lives, as we rub shoulders with our city and with our neighbors and we connect with people, let them feel the oil of joy that Isaiah prophesied. Let them feel a joy around us that we would break the mantles, uh, the, the cloaks of mourning, that people in our city would know first and foremost a joy that we carry because it comes from you. I thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'll invite Melissa to close us out. Thank you, Ty.